Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Storyteller Almanac podcast. My name is Mike Thomas. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode I call Dan the Man. <laughs> More specifically, it's a it's an interview with someone named Dan Mitchell, an old friend of mine from my New Hampshire days when I lived up there in the beautiful White Mountains of the of the Granite State. I first met Dan when I was still performing my musical gigs in pubs and bars and eateries back in the day. Dan was the owner of a real cool, uh, quaint establishment called Old Susanna's up in Lancaster, New Hampshire, way the heck up there in the mountains. Old Sue's was a, a rustic-type eatery and pub, and it fit the landscape up there in the mountains perfectly. It drew all kinds of all kinds of guests from locals to visitors and tourists passing through. But that's not all Dan did or has done in his rather unique life. Um, the last several years, he's been heavily involved in the, the homelessness issues we face in America. And more recently, uh, I've been reading some of his writings on social media. I always knew he had a, an interest or a knack for writing, but I honestly never knew how talented he was and how good his work was. I'm quite pleased and excited to say that Dan agreed to let me do this interview or a, or a conversation with type thing with him, and he's here with me today. Well, actually, since we both are, are big supporters of the social distancing measures currently in place, Dan is uh, a little distance away, like about 1,200 miles away up in New Hampshire, and I'm here in Central Florida. Um, I guess that's probably in line with the uh, or probably in line and conforms to the, the CDC's recommendations for being a safe distance apart. Wouldn't you say so, Mr. Dan? Absolutely. <laughs> First off, hi, how are you? Thanks for doing this. How's life? Everything good? I, I'm, everything's great. I bought a specially sized mask Did for you? the phone and for my laptop and uh, isolated here in a small apartment up in the New England and it was beautiful weather today. Really? I miss it. I do. I, I really, I mean, Florida's great. I really like it down here. It's, there's something to be said for being able to wear a short sleeve shirt in February. But in the summertime, there's also something to be said that I won't say, and I'll hold my tongue, about the miserable, hot, humid weather here in the summer, especially, especially when you're outside. But that's enough of that. Let me jump right in. Um, you, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you hail from the Pacific Northwest. Is that correct? That's right. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and went to school at University of Oregon, Eugene, Oregon there. And then uh, when I was 26, I left Oregon. Curious, what, what was it that made you move to the extreme other side of the country, to Lancaster, New Hampshire? Well, Mike, I'd say probably the case for most 90% of us, it was a cute girl. <laughs> I understand. And that later became... My partner in the restaurant and the mother of my children. Now, when you when you first moved to Lancaster, was it to open Old Sue's, or when did that open? When did you open that? Do you remember the year? Yes, we opened March twenty first, nineteen eighty four, and there was just a need in Lancaster for a restaurant. We had one small diner, and we named it Old Susanna's because Karen's ancestor was in. Ripley's, believe it or not, as the woman who lived in three centuries. She was born in 1699 <laughs> and died in 1802, old Susanna Brownson. Oh, so they had a sketch of her in the 
book and we created a logo and called it Old Susanna's Restaurant and Lounge and we were there for 10 years. Now, after that, I, I recall you running the, the big, beautiful restaurant at, at Loon Mountain Resort up in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Uh, yes. Was it? It was the village, village of Loon Mountain. Village, right. right and right. was was called the Moose Crossing. Yeah. And we oh, developed yeah. a logo and yeah. we had, um, I remember we had one sweatshirt that I had a designer make of the Moose Crossing because it was a new concept and new place and we had a couple moose sitting at the bar and a couple of human heads on the wall like it was a <laughs> taxidermy type thing. It was cute. Doesn't sound it's not it wasn't as morbid as it sounds here as I talk about it. You were loved very much up there. You had a great following. Uh, well, all I all, know all I know is I had a I really had a great time up there. And you not to do the mutual admiration society, but you were you were so good to work for. Either old Sue's or that place, seriously. Well, thank you. I yeah. tried hard. I like the hospitality business. I left New Hampshire to to uh, move to Florida and pursue more more of my music and photography. Plus, go to work for Disney. Back in the late night latter latter nineteen nineties, and I shamefully admit I did fall out of touch with you for a while. Uh, take me from that point. What what did you would you move on to, and what'd you do from there? My children then were about six or seven, and I decided that I wanted to do a uh, career change, basically because I discovered that my one job was to be their father, mm. and that, however, it was a shift for me because when I was younger, I was a little bit more like Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties, mm -hmm. yeah. and I remember at 29 years old, reading a magazine that said, 10 top things that people that people under 30 who had become millionaires would do. And one of the things they did was they bit their fingernails. Hmm. And I had bit my fingernails for years since I was a kid, and I had given it up six months earlier. And so you know me well enough to know what I did. I was nearing my 30th birthday. I began biting my fingernails furiously, hmm. trying to get that million-dollar reward in life. Yeah. But yeah. after the constraints of time, and you know when you do hospitality, it takes a lot out of you oh, because you're yeah. always on stage. Oh, yeah. And people whether you're singing or waiting tables or bartending, you're putting out a lot of energy that you may or may not get back. And that's why we love it. Mm. And it's also why after a period of time, it uh, depletes us. So I decided my energy had to go to being a soccer dad and mm. little league coach and all of those yeah. things. So I made a drastic change, left a high paying job as GM there gave six months' notice, and I spent a year as an AmeriCorps member teaching at-risk students hmm. in uh, Bristol, New Hampshire, right next to Plymouth. Sure. And I did that because I wanted to get back on a career that had meaning. And so that was a pivotal shift for me hmm. because my kids were young and I made it work. And uh, 
Then I went on to social services mostly after that. That's what got me into social services. Yeah. Regards to your writing, um, where, where does that come from? Is that part of, did you have education or training on that? Or is that just a, an artsy thing you like to do? What, what the heck? Well, my parents both wrote very well. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad had eight kids in 11 years. Mm. And my mom had left school. She was going to be an English teacher. All of her brothers and sisters were English teachers. And so I loved the written word from a very, very early age. Mm. I was writing school newspapers, <laughs> I mm. think starting from second or third grade. <laughs> and I was always a writer. And I think that, ironically, the life that my son has now, at working at a university, being many times published writer, he is living the life that I once dreamt that for myself. <laughs> but here's the deal. I got a job working in a restaurant when I was 16 or something, mm-hmm. and people told me I was very good at it. Mm. And I don't, in retrospect, think that I was that good. I think I was just a really, really hard worker. Mm. And so I would outwork everybody. And I say that only as a lesson because the power of what people tell you can sometimes dictate your life for Mm -hmm. better or worse. Mm -hmm. There's people that I've seen before students that don't think they'll ever amount to anything. And when you plant the seed that Mm. they're smart enough to go to college, that one thing opens up a whole world for them, whether they go to college or not. Just the idea that somebody thinks they're going to be good at it, Mm -hmm. or it's a possibility they can do something other than what their parents might have done or the expectations of an uncle or aunt set upon them. So I find that fascinating still to this day. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) I'm 64, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm I'm, I'm kind of the same way. The trick is don't grow up, first of all. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's, I think I think truly it's part of the reason why that I, I wanted to work for Disney for so long. Um, not so much that I, I didn't want to grow up. Well, I, you know, actually, I take that back. I had I, always said that I was more mature at 18 than I was at 26. Um, not that I was irresponsible at 26, but I kind of look back, you know, life had changed a bit. And it's like, wow, there's a lot of things that I didn't do. And some were some were things that a youngster would do. Well, further down the road. Um, when I discovered um, Disney, Disney World in particular, I, I said, someday I'm going to go to work for them, like, probably when I retire. Um, well, as it turned out, because I I had my other businesses going, you know, my music and my photography, that I could go to work for them just part-time. That's what I thought. And I ended up going to work full-time. That's another whole story. But my point to that That's is... excellent. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it was... It was it, thank you. But I, I know what you mean when you say that. It's It's like... To bluntly put, the money didn't matter. I just wanted to go to work for Disney because I wasn't going to rely on it for my full-time income. I already had that going on the, I don't want to say on the side because it was my main income. But when I got into Disney and really, really learned a lot more about Walt Disney, he was the eternal dreamer. Um, In a nice way, I learned that uh, Roy's brother, I'm sorry, Walt's brother Roy was really the businessman 
or business, ran the business between the two of them. Walt was a dreamer. Um, you know, I'm not going to say he didn't have a clue, but he was a dreamer. And one of the things that he said was, too many people, and this is almost a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but too many people in the world, they grow up. That's the problem. And that's one that, that really stuck out. So when you just said that, now that brought that all back up. And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly convinced that's the reason that I did what I did. So I can definitely relate to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitely relate to that. Uh, even this podcast. I, I did a podcast about 10 years ago. Uh, and it worked. It was successful. I just didn't have the time to give it. Now things are a little different. I want to slow down a little bit. So it, it's it's a great thing. It's it's almost like what you're talking about. It's a new path in life. Um, and again, I'm catching myself talking too much about myself. I know this is a more of a conversation with, but this is really more about the great the, the great Dan Mitchell, Dan the Man Mitchell. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so so if you don't mind, and getting back to writing. What what do you like to? I mean, I've seen some of your work, but what do you, is that? What, what do you like to write? I guess I should just leave it open ended. What do you? What kind of stuff do you like to write? Well, I always like to write things that I think the reader will be able to relate to on some level. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a preconceived. And at one point, this sounds somewhat cynical. I don't mean it to be. But I used to say when I worked in social services that all people are the same. There's only about 12 people in the world, and we're all variations of that. Hmm. And so when I write something, I'm just writing from my experience, but it fascinates me to have people be able to relate to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it's not the same instance, it triggers something in their brain that reminds them of a similar story. Right. Because we're all, we really are all the same. And I believe in the goodness of people. And I believe that, you know, people, with very few exceptions, people are amazingly good. But fear and other things sometimes dictate the path they take or Mm -hmm. mistakes they make. And I always try to accentuate the positive. Like I tell everybody, I'm the wisest person I know. (laughs) And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean that wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from failure. So if you use that that equation, I'm very wise because it's like that Japanese proverb, fall down seven times and get up eight. You know, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. skin knees, you know, <laughs> and I, my curiosity and the, as a child, my folks told me I could do anything. Right. And I was so foolish, I believed them. And I still believe them today. <laughs> There's nothing I don't think I can do. And a lot of that's delusional. I'm, I'm honest about that. But but I've never been afraid to step up and try something new. What, what a foundation. What a building block, though. I mean, seriously. Not, not that my folks didn't say that, but I, I wish, I think I wish I, I had grasped that much earlier in life. I think that's great. The biggest gift, I think, that any parent can give a kid along those lines is, is not just that, but unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a cliche, but to be able to have the confidence of knowing that's okay. If you didn't win or if you didn't, 
you know, you you tried out but didn't make it or mm-hmm. you lost that chess game or we still love you. Mm-hmm. And that is not always the case nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're all we're all works in progress and we're afraid that if we make one mistake that we have to pull back and that just stymies a lot of creativity in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and to to add to that, the one the one thing that I've seen, not very much, thank goodness, but you you take a you take a an a parent or leadership type person who has that says that that uh, that adage, you know, try it if you don't if it doesn't work out well, you know, we'll still love you. And then they they kind of go against the word. In other words, the the child goes and tries something that may not be exactly what the parents had in mind, and it doesn't work out. And you hear the parents say, "See, told you that wasn't going to work." You know that kind of a thing. Oh, that drives me bonkers. I, you know, I exactly. I, I hold my you tongue. You know, being being a, I would go to live theater just a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I'd see adults, grown up people acting on stage and it would just almost make me cheer up because they, I know that that person has dedicated their life and they were probably smart enough to be a banker, an attorney, a doctor, whatever, Mm -hmm. but they followed their passion of being on stage for sometimes 10 people in the audience and sometimes packed houses and still to this day, probably because I don't feel I have any of that creativity, certainly not musical creativity, <laughs> that I am always so fascinated that anybody can strum guitar or sing or play piano. It's just out of the realm of my possibility. Mm-hmm. And so I have a deep appreciation for people who get up there on stage with their soul naked in front of everybody and perform. That's awesome. That's <laughs> really awesome. And, and and likewise myself. I mean, I coincidentally might be a musician or whatever, but I, I've never lost that. Wh- wh- everything you just said, I'll just say ditto. I've never lost that because I I remember when I was a kid trying to trying to start out and get the courage to do that. How hard that is initially, anyway. Maybe uh, some people never get over stage fright and all that. But that that's very very. I don't even have a word for that. Just just admirable. It's not a good enough word, but very admirable. Well, I think the difference is having somebody on the other side down the road saying, it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to show you where some landmines are. You might want to avoid yeah. them yeah. or not. But <laughs> I'm going to show because when you're a kid growing up, and it doesn't matter if you're a kid of eight years old or 18 or 38 you don't know what it's like to be older. Mm -hmm. And one of the most beautiful things about being older now is being able to turn around to my kids and not tell them what to do because they know they have unconditional love. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, I'll put a bug in the ear like, hey, you know, there's a a landmine up a hundred yards to the left. You might want to, you might want to watch that because it might work for you, but it didn't work for me. Right. Right. (laughs) Yep. 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 And then they have the choice to make their own decision. There you go. You know, I'm listening to you talk about all this and I, I, I put down in my notes, maybe you should do a podcast yourself. Wink, wink. 
this is this is what we're talking about. Subject matter, I think, is great. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. We're just two guys talking. We are, but we we sound so good. <laughs> almost, almost. I don't know what you would. Almost sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Almost, you do. Anyway, can I be a guest on your podcast if you do it? Sure, you're my first first guest. Okay, sounds good. As long as I um, figure out how to plug a machine in here, <laughs> um, I'll send you some instructions. Okay. Um, now I I know. You're also involved in the in the homelessness campaign or issues throughout the throughout our country. Um, I read or heard somewhere recently, I think, that Dan Mitchell's dream is for homelessness to totally go away in America. What, if you don't mind, can you tell me about that? I don't want to get into it too deep, unless you want to. I'm, I'm all ears. But what uh, what can you tell me about that whole thing? Well, what I've learned is that I don't mind talking about it at all, but okay. I begin to rant because as I get older, I'll just preface it by that. As I get older, I like things to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I see something that's stupid and I go, well, that's stupid, you know. Yeah. And so it kind of gets under my skin. So I started working for social services. I'm 64 and I've worked with the homeless for 60 years now. Hmm. I didn't know that. When I was four years old, a little guy named Fidel Castro came into power in 1959, 1960. Hmm. And he cleared out his country and Cuban refugees were placed through Catholic charities in places like Portland, Oregon, where my folks took in families for years Hmm. until they got on their feet and could get their own house. And so as a four-year-old, probably till I was about seven, I had Cuban refugee families living upstairs and having meals with us. And that kind of planted the scene my folks didn't have money. They were probably lower middle class. And it was a different time back then. Mom stayed home. Dad went to work at his insurance job. But the that shaped the norm, normalcy of it. And so I never thought anything different about communal living or homeless people. Or I just thought, is, why don't we just... why? Maslow's hierarchy of needs says air, water, food, and shelter. Mm. And that's our basic needs. And so I always saw homelessness much like if you or I could not afford air. And it's very inefficient. In America, we'll give you air, water, food, but then shelter is, oh, we're capitalists. You know, Mm, you should just get a job. And So I have spent the last 20 years mainly working, running homeless shelters. And I ran the largest one in New Hampshire for seven years until three years ago. And it was a $4 million building they built. And we had, in the winter, 140 people live in their families. I can, it's, it's not... People say that it's a complicated issue, but it's really not. For example, we have six houses in America for every homeless person. Mm. We have 
And so I have spent at one point about 10 years ago, I took a cross country trip for a hundred days and I filmed with a film crew, hmm. uh, case managers, homeless people on the streets, asking them, how do we fix this? And the answers are amazingly simple. And after years, I became somewhat frustrated by the politics of it because the reality is that all the statistics show that if you housing first, if, if somebody has, they don't need a mansion. If somebody has their own place, it's like when we're little kids, Mike. You know, little boys like to have a little little box to put their own pocket knife or their own mm-hmm. <laughs> spider trap or whatever little boys do now. Mm-hmm. And for for all of us, we just need this place of self. It does mm-hmm. not have to be a whole house. Right. And once again, I saw people that were people, and when and it's it's inefficient be homeless. People spend all their energy looking for a place to sleep for the next night. And they're all perceived as being criminals or Mm. mentally ill. And so the reality is that if people are housed, about 90% of the rest of the problems go away. They get get regular medication or children Mm. go to school or there's certainly enough food and everything in the country gets distributed. Mm. But we... We rise to the occasion, and when I was in Lancaster at Old Susanna's, we had 14 churches when I moved there, and they did not have a Thanksgiving appeal. Hmm. In Portland, Oregon, where I was from, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, we did St. Vincent de Paul food Hmm. driving and, and all of that, so they did not have this in Northern New Hampshire. So I created Project Homebound, and I put up a jar and asked for volunteers, and this last Thanksgiving, 2020, was our 36th year of Project Homebound. 100% of the money that was created goes to, we've served tens of thousands of people. Uh, Thanksgiving, deliver it to their house two days before Thanksgiving, a box of Mm. weeks worth of groceries. Mm. And I know a lot of other places do that now, but nearly 40 years ago, that was not there. And it just seems, I guess I'm an operational guy. If I had a magic wand, I would have people have a place to live. Now the, uh, I'll stop rambling. No, 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 please. I will tell you this. I would ask the universe. Sometimes I'd ask God. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I ask the universe. Sometimes I'd have them on a conference call together. <laughs> I would say, I just want people to go from sympathy to empathy about mm-hmm. the homeless. Because if they go to empathy, we can solve this problem in a year, this challenge. And I became frustrated and quite frankly needed a break from social services three years ago. So I was general manager of a beach hotel here in Maine. And you know what happened, Mike? Hmm. 2020 came along and said, Dan, hold my beer. I got this. Hmm. And the country is a lot more empathetic about the issues 
involving people that don't have enough or don't have a stable place to live than they were just a year ago. And that's a good thing because now we can move forward with leveling the playing field. Why, why do you think that happened? Because the pandemic shook everybody to their core. Hmm. When we say, oftentimes, and I won't get political, but oftentimes people see things because they're humans as black or white. They're like a light switch. We're either a socialist, commie country, or we've got to be a capitalistic country. Hmm. And it's not an up or down switch. What it is is a dimmer switch. And sometimes we need to turn a little brighter and turn it a little bit down. But we, because we're a capitalistic country, that translates to money as our only value system. And I didn't grow up, and I don't think you did grow up in that country. It's just shifted over the decades. Mm, yeah. That doesn't mean that one side or the other is good or bad. Right. It's just that everybody is trying to protect what they know how to do in the best way they can. Sure, sure. Wow. That's, that's to say it's interesting. That's very thought-provoking. So, so where do I go from here? Where do you, where do you go from here? How about that? What's, uh, what's on the horizon, or do you know yet? Or Well, I've been working at a great beach resort the last three years, and the universe came, and 75% of the hotels in the United States are slated to not reopen by June. Mm. Restaurants and lounges the hospitality market is taking a huge hit. So I've been furloughed and I am waiting for the universe to give me my next direction. <laughs> and, and I just have learned to kind of ride the tide and not force the issue. Sometimes I'm behind the times. Sometimes I'm ahead of the times and I've learned patience and know that the, uh, universe will point me in the right direction that's how much uh, i trust it uh, amazing uh, I'm, I'm the same way i uh, ha- have you ever read the book called the secret yes okay i likewise um i, w- I bought the book in the in the, uh, the video and just to get into that for a second what what really really made me uh, uh i hate to use the word believer but believer in the secret it wasn't that I read the book and said, gee, I'm going to try this. When I, when I read it and was watching the video, um, I, was, I was blown off my, my chair because what they were describing, I had done twice already in my life. I didn't know I was doing it. But when I looked at my music way back when, I, I left a secure job to go pursue the music because I, I had the passion and I pretty much knew I could do it and blah, blah. And sure enough, it worked. And then with my photography... Uh, I had always done some kind of multimedia uh, in my in my adult life anyway, and uh, I got the chance to do a little bit of it for Disney. And when I saw what was possible, I said, "You know what? I'm going for it." And thank God, thank the universe, or the combination of the two, it worked. So, what you just said, I, I am such a huge believer in. I really am. Um, earlier, I said this podcast is a new path for me, 
it basically, I might have tried it 10 years ago, but this is this is something totally different. And what we're doing right now is totally different than what I did 10 years ago, doing the interview or conversation with. Um, I, I basically have the same belief that you do. I'm just waiting to see what I'm supposed to do next. I think it's this. And the reason I say I think I think it is, is only because of what I just described previously. Um, previously meaning meaning the concept of of the secret you you sort of will things into existence i'm not really explaining it exactly the way i want but i, I know you get it uh, anybody that's listening uh, to this and I, I do and then i also have my the little quirkish quotes i remember that man plans and god laughs <laughs> one of my favorites yep and no matter what I do for work or career or my life, I throw myself into 110%, and yeah. I'm harder on myself than anybody else could ever be. Oh, and yeah. what calms me down is, I think it was Churchill's uh, quote that said, um, the graveyards are full of indispensable people. <laughs> That's pretty humbling. It you is. Know, I think I'm so gosh darn important. Yeah. And the world is just not going to spin unless Dan Mitchell's in it. Yeah. And I have yeah. to remind myself of it because that's the work ethic with the balance of the universe. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, uh, I think, you know, you, know the, uh, you know that expression, twin sons of a different mother? I think you and I might be twin sons of a different mother. Because <laughs> 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 everything you're... Everything you're saying, I'm I'm trying not to say. I'm trying not you to say. You can relate. Yeah, I can relate. Or me too, or whatever. I, I want to. That that gets that gets old. I don't do that to people that are listening. But so true. I'm telling you. Well, listen. Or you asked me to pull up this writing. Is that something you still want me to read? Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. Seriously. This was what I had posted last week, and it was just a thought. I wanted to let you know that when I write these things, if there's any writers out there. Don't be too hard on me. <laughs> I don't do drafts. I just have the ability to open my mind and type. And if I go back, it's to correct a typo or something. So these are just streaming thoughts. Okay. And they're all true. So that's the other thing about when you're a writer is that if you just tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said or you don't <laughs> have to interrupt the writing because it's real life. Yep. So this is what I wrote at the beginning of the year because something, an old photo I'd seen, reminded me of it. Okay. And I'll begin. I looked to the sky daily for the last 50 years because of one moment in time on a Saturday morning and what he said. Me, I was this 14-year-old kid that had been sick the entire week of basketball tryouts, and by default, I didn't make the eighth-grade team. I wouldn't have played. I was about two feet tall and weighed less than a bottle of Coke. But I enjoyed the camaraderie of the team and the practices. Mom, mother of eight kids in 11 years, came to the parish gym nearly every game with younger siblings in tow to watch and cheer for what was probably a cumulative of five playing minutes total for me of the previous five years. The first game of the season that year, I had told my mom she wouldn't have to waste time this year as I wasn't playing. Well, Uncle George, my dad's brother, and 
stepfather of my cousin, Polly, showed up Saturday at 9 a.m. and said, hey, get in the car. We're headed out, just you and me, Danny. I waved to my folks. Always upbeat, George drove me to downtown Portland, Oregon, where we parked and began walking. I hadn't realized my head was hung down and was looking at the sidewalk while George rattled on. And he stopped. Hey, what are you looking down for, Danny? Do you miss the team? I nodded. You've already been there other years, and that's old news. You are so smart, you need to try new things. You can do anything. I nodded slowly as we started to walk again. Uncle George stopped again. Hey, why are you always looking at the sidewalk? You're not going to fall. Look up there in the sky. There are white clouds, blue skies. You've got air in your lungs. You get to go to high school next year. You can see the whole world if you look up and around. And if you look at the ground, you'll miss your entire life. So I have made a habit then and there of looking up purposely. Uncle George took me to 4th Street, where Kaplan's Magic Store was. He introduced me to the great Desmond, who taught a Saturday 10 a.m. class of magic upstairs to about six of us kids. Uncle George paid the $5 hourly class for 10 weeks in advance. I'll see you in an hour, and we'll do this every Saturday, Danny, until you learn to take the bus eventually. The great Desmond noticed when we got frustrated with cards or tricks or flubbing up and would invariably say, learning magic is just like learning life. When you're about to throw it all up in the air and walk away, if you hold on just a little bit longer, it will all come together for you. And he was right. My magician career lasted about two shows and four months, but those lessons stayed with me. I look up into the sky every single day, and I have found that if someone hangs in there just a little bit longer, the trajectory changes and life gets better. It does. What a lucky kid I was to have had family surround me my entire life. Thank you of you tonight, Uncle George, with peace and love. You went to the sky decades ago, but I still wave to you when I look up. If I had... A sound effect with an applause, I would I'd be doing that. So all I can do is just that. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, 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 I know I know you and we're friends and all that, but those, they're good. They're really good and they're inspirational. Thank you, Mike. Well, listen, I don't want to just end it. Is there anything else you want to, you want to chat or talk about or anything? I, I don't want to just say, thanks, bye. <laughs> No, it's been great catching up with you. Oh, yeah, likewise. Um, I would love to do another one of these in the future. If you're, if you're still up for it, I'll just... Oh, no, every day. My my availability is 24-7, 3.65 right now. <laughs> I, yeah, right now I can relate to that too. Um, I'll tell you one thing with this pandemic. The, the good, I think it's the good side. I don't know about you, but it, it's really made me kind of realize it's it's time for me to slow down a little bit in life and and that's i'm not saying i become old and decrepit um older maybe but i like it i i really do it's it's part of the reason i'm doing this podcast i have the time to do it i want to do it um it's 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 weird i never thought much good would come out of this but lo and behold you know um yes and we're all we're all we all have to adjust our sales after this last year because 
three young grandbabies, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, i got to start slowing down, and I'm going to enter this wonderful grandparent world and quarantine. And this is not what I had intended, right. not being able to see my kids right. and their yeah. parents teaching and and trying to do the best they can right. working remotely. But so we all adjust our sales, and it's not a barrier. It's just another challenge, yeah. and it's an adventure. Yep. And we're all in it together, and a lot of the things that we are feeling when we get isolated or whatever, the same things that 330 million other people, which goes back to my original point, is that all people are pretty much the same. We're all doing the best we can, yeah. and the more empathy we have in the world, the the better understanding we have. Anyway, Mr. Dan the Man Mitchell, listen, I, I cannot thank you enough for doing this, and I can't wait to do it again. Um, uh, and, I, and I promise we'll, I'll stay in touch as well. Um, Please do. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you can hang on the line, I'm just going to say goodbye to the other folks, and uh, I'll... I'll uh, I'll, I'll say goodbye to you, and we'll figure out something for the future, maybe. So, again, okay. with that, I thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, thanks to all you listeners and supporters for tuning in today. I hope you liked it. There's more to come like this, so please stay dialed in. Until next time, God bless, be good to each other, we're all we've got. Peace. Peace.